Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Okay, I don't know about you, but that is such a unique video. It just fascinates me, as Justin was saying, to see that um, literally that's what's going on in the sound waves. We can't see it. You can't understand it, but every bit of sound that's going through the world around us is actually producing those patterns. There's a hundred different ways that I could go when I watch that video, but to me, the two things that really jump out would probably be these when I first saw it. One, it just seems to me like somebody is just speaking beauty and majesty into the creation. Like literally that is the visible effects of those sound waves as they're hitting those plates. These geometric patterns, these beautiful designs, it's almost like somebody is, is speaking something beautiful and majesty in, in, into the creation. But the other thing that hits me and probably the first thing that hit me when I saw it is you almost get this sense like somebody is commanding the sound waves. This is your picture. This is how you're going to look. You never really hear or see sound that way, you know, and it just opens up a whole different world. Somebody is commanding the waves, and that's just fascinating to me. And when I saw it, it reminded me of, uh, of a story that we heard one time when the disciples were following Jesus that I feel is very relevant for today and unlocking something that I think we're all struggling with. It's a story that we find in the Gospel of Mark chapter 4, and I'd like you to read that with me in this moment. Mark 4 tells us that Jesus was traveling with his followers, and on a certain day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. They were going from one side of the Sea of Galilee over to another side in a boat. Now, when they had left the crowd, we're told, they took him along, that's Jesus, along in the boat as he was, just as he was. And other little boats also were with them. Other little boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling up. The water was filling the boat. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. Now, I don't know about you, but that's what I would do, right, in the middle of a rainstorm. Get a nice wet pillow and just take a nap. So there he is, just sitting there, just napping away. And they they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you you care? I mean, we're about to perish. We're going to die. Then he arose, we're told. He stood, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? They feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the waves obey him? Father, we pray in this few moments that we have together that we would hear your voice that we would understand, that we would realize that you are in command. And God, it would change something in our souls. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I see that story and it reminds me a bit, again, here we have someone commanding the waves. 
It was very different than a story I once heard, one not as real as that one, but still an interesting story of a gentleman in the 1800s. He was kind of riding along on his carriage, and, and he came across an interesting sight. He saw a cowboy laying on the ground with his ear pressed against a rock, just laying there. And this, this man stopped his carriage. He was wondering what was going on, and he, as he pondered that for a few minutes, all of a sudden he heard the cowboy say, covered wagon, half a mile away. I thought, well, that's, that's kind of, that's impressive. He waited for another minute, and then all of a sudden the cowboy said, two horses leading it. The man thought, wow, really, you know that? And then the guy continued, the cowboy said, two men driving the wagon. One is loading a shotgun, and they're talking. And at this point, the man couldn't hold it anymore. He said, that is incredible. He said, you know how far away this carriage is, how many horses are guiding it, how many people are in the wagon. You can hear them talking and even hear that he's loading a shotgun just by looking at the ground. That is amazing, to which the cowboy said in, re in response, I'm not listening to the ground, I'm describing the wagon that ran over me 10 minutes ago. <laughs> so in this case, what you have in that story it's some, somebody who heard somebody, uh, but he, he didn't really realize that that person was not in command of the situation at all, okay? In the case of Jesus, you have precisely the opposite. You have people listening to him speak and then realizing he is absolutely in command of the situation. They even asked the question because they still didn't get it. They said, who is this man? The, the wind and the waves are obeying him. Well, we can answer that question right out of the gate. They obey him, the wind and the waves, because he's Lord, because he's God. There's no question in this. John chapter 1 said something that we just sang a little while ago. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was in the beginning, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Colossians 1 tells us that he is uh, the firstborn of all creation. He's the image of the invisible God, the one who's supreme over everything is what it means. And Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that he was the Lord who in the beginning laid the foundations of the heavens and the earth. We're told they will wear out. They, they'll grow old, these heavens and these earths, winds and waves, but he will remain. He never grows old. He stays the same. He's in command of it all. That's who we're dealing with. Let it be no question in our minds. And, and he was the one who said three words to that storm that I find fascinating. I chose this translation for a reason because other translations capture the word a little more directly, and it is clear. But in this particular one, these words I want us to really grapple with. He said three words to that storm. Do you remember what they were? Peace, be still. Peace, be still. It's a little bit different word than we find in other places in Scripture that's translated as peace. For example, one of the places when we're told that if we come into relationship with Christ, he gives us his Holy Spirit who guides and directs us and shapes our lives, and we're told that some of the fruit that he produces in our lives are love and joy and peace. The idea is a, is a rest in God. This is a little different word here. This has more action to it. Another way you might say, peace be still, was as if he said to the wind and the waves, hold your peace. That was a little bit older way of saying it. Hold your peace. Or in other words, hush, be silent. Or maybe a more modern way to say it. Muzzle it. Muzzle it already. Or stop. Stop would be another way to put it. Jesus, in other words, wasn't 
commenting on, a, on something he hoped would change. He was giving an order. He was commanding the wind and the waves to cease, to hush, to be quiet, to stop. And yet, here were his followers right with him, still freaking out. They're still missing something and lacking something that they really should have had in that moment and through that whole moment. And that was peace. They had no peace. Do you long for peace in your life? I can tell you're not alone. It's, it's something that people have longed for since the beginning. In fact, when we look into the Old Testament and the Ancient of Days, you see people who constantly had this on their mind. In fact, a common way to greet people when they showed up was they would ask somebody if they came in peace. Have you come in peace? And when somebody would leave, they would say to them, go in peace. Peace was always on their minds. It's the state that everyone sought to have. And in fact, peace is not only important to us, it's, it's central to God. We're told in Scripture that a man one day named Gideon built an altar to God. He wanted to worship God and he wanted to name that altar in a way that honored God. And he named the altar after God and he named it, The Lord is Peace. God is Peace. That's what he named it. Again, we're told in, in the Scripture that when the Holy Spirit begins His work in our lives, He will produce love and joy and peace. And even when this prophet Isaiah told us that one would come to rescue us, to save our souls, to set us free, to bring us into all of these places. And we just celebrated that season called Christmas. Isaiah told us that his name would be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and most importantly, Prince of Peace. Peace is central to God. It's something we always seek, and yet do we have it? Let me ask you a question. Actually, I want to do this. If, if you wouldn't mind for a moment, just close your eyes just for a moment so no one else can see. I want everybody to be able to answer as honest as you can. Close your eyes and I want to ask you this question. In this last season of time that we have called a season of peace on earth, how many of you are still seeking peace that you don't fully have? Just show me by a show of hands. How many of you still looking for peace? Okay, yeah. Okay, you can close your, raise your hand, or lower your hands and, and open your eyes. And um, We didn't have any hands, so I guess I'm done for today. So you guys have a good one. and I'm sure you know there were hands all over this place. And I was one of them. I raised my hand right along with you in my mind because we're all looking for it, and yet it's not there. In fact... If you look even at the definition of peace, I took this right out of the Oxford Dictionary. Follow with me on this and ask yourselves if we individually or as people have peace. The first definition is freedom from disturbance, to have tranquility, a rest. How much of that do we get? Do we have peace? Second definition is mental calm, a serenity of mind. With minds moving a million miles an hour, we've got the stimulation of devices always in front of our face. I was recently uh, at, in New York and I was by the Rockefeller Center seeing uh, Christmas lights and displays during the season of peace. And I can tell you, it's interesting stuff to see, but there was no peace there. The, the amount of people flowing around corners and jammed into each other and the hecticness and the noise and everything. I got nothing against New York. It's, not, it's just that you, you, you're standing in the middle of that thinking, this is not 
what I think of when I think of peace. We just don't seem to find it even in the season in which we claim to celebrate it. So mental calm, we're, we're flying all over. Uh, the third definition, a state or period in which there is no war or a war has ended. You know, World War II lasted six, anywhere from six years to maybe eight, depending on how you reckon it. We've been in the war on terror for 18 years, still going. And don't even look at the news feeds today if you want to be encouraged, because you won't be. Threats being made against our nation and other things going on in the Middle East. Freedom from civil disorder is the fourth definition. I don't think I need to comment on this. Freedom from civil disorder, disorder among civil groups and groups of people. And finally, freedom from dispute or dissension between individuals or groups. Nothing more needs to be said. Folks, we don't have peace on any of these. Individually, in groups, as a nation, in the world right now. It's just not there. In fact, the closest we get to it is this sixth definition, which is called the peace in the Oxford Dictionary. And what it actually means is to be in a church service and offer each other a sign of greeting or peace, which is what we just did a few minutes ago. So congratulations, that might be the only moment of peace you have all week. <laughs> At least we get something out of this. But why don't we have it anywhere else? There's one more definition. I'm going to hold that till later. But why don't we have it in any of these areas? I'm going to offer you today in the short time we have a few specific reasons I feel why we don't and how we could seek it. But to me, ultimately, one main reason as to why we don't have peace, not in just a circumstance, but in any and all circumstances, why we don't have the peace we seek and how we can find it. And so I believe that we don't have peace, first of all, frankly, because we're hectic. We're frantic. Our activity has us going everywhere. If you notice, in this moment, Jesus leaves with his disciples, and we're told at the beginning, it says, when they left the crowd, and you might have caught it, said they took Jesus as he was. Do you know why it says that? At the moment, they were doing a lot. He was, he was working with a lot of people. A lot was going on. People were demanding his time and his attention. He had a lot of work to do. And they realized they needed some downtime. They needed a moment to get away from all that. When it says they took him as he was, it literally means they moved away from that so fast to capture that moment. They didn't even let him put a heavier coat on, the kind of cloak or something you would have worn to get into a boat to go out on the ocean. They didn't have time for that. They said, we just need to move away. We can't get distracted. If we, if, we, if we hesitate, we're going to get drawn back into the noise. Now, I'm not suggesting that you run away quickly from people who need you, dependent on you, or otherwise you have responsibility to. But what I am suggesting is there are moments in which we need to quiet down. And when we sense that time has arrived, we need to make every effort to take hold of it. If we don't Everything will draw us back in, and we never will have that moment. It hits us in so many ways, doesn't it? I saw something years ago. I read it. Somebody sent to me in an email and made me chuckle. It was called Overworked. And the person, said, the person in the email says, you know, I've been wondering why I'm so stressed out, and I realized it's because I'm overworked. And they laid it out in the case at the time. The email said, there's about 250 million people in the U.S., and then it started to subtract people. You know, out of those, you know, 30 million or so are in federal, state, or local government positions. And then so many, 18 million are in hospitals right now. So many million are children. It kept subtracting them all off. Down and down it goes. And at the end, it said, so that leaves two people, you and me, 
and you're sitting at your computer reading jokes. And so the point of the, the person in the email was, that's why I'm overworked. You're not even helping me, buddy. And it was, it was a clever and cute way to basically say we are overworked. We're working like crazy. In fact, I would ask you, are, are you working so that you can live or are you living to work? What, what choice are you making? What are you prioritizing? I saw a movie recently that didn't care for the whole movie, but, but there, was a, there was a theme and an undercurrent in it that I really did appreciate. It was a movie where an individual wanted this promotion and felt that everything was kind of getting in the way of what he really wanted to accomplish in life. And then he was given an opportunity to kind of fast forward through moments of life that were boring, you know, dinners with certain people. And, this and he's like, I just don't want to deal with that. Just fast forward me to these moments of promotion and things like that. And he got what he wished for. The only problem was eventually he realized when it was too late that he had skipped all the most important and significant people and things in his life. And those moments that he longed for didn't really matter anymore. He'd missed it all. Now in a movie, he gets a chance to rewind and do it again. But guess what? You're not in a movie. And neither am I. So we're not going to get a chance to rewind this. What are you prioritizing? What are you chasing after that's so important? And who are you leaving behind? We're overworked. And then as if that wasn't bad enough, what we've done is we've taken and jammed something else on top of that. And we've enabled a way to do that. Now, I'm not anti-tech. I, I use technology. I've got it with me today. And I understand there's a lot of ways in which it helps us. But I will quote somebody who was very insightful. She was a CEO of a major technology company some years ago, right when all the dev devices were getting very mobile. Mobile laptops, mobile phones. We were able to carry it with us everywhere, streamline our lives. And then she made this great statement. She said, we thought that technology would give us more time. But all that it has done is enabled us to jam more into the time we have. Is that you? Is that me? These devices report screen time now, and it's not uncommon for people to see it report screen time of an average of six to eight hours a day that we're on these devices. And it's because there's something that pulls us in, and we need to understand this. It's not that they're bad. Please don't misunderstand me. Any technology, anything like that is not bad in and of itself or good. It's what we choose to do with it that matters. And so... These things have a way, though, of stimulating our brains and our minds in a way that we become connected, almost addicted to it. They compare it today. Internet addiction is a phenomenon. They're comparing it to an addictive quality. And what will happen is we get to a point where we almost can't disengage for something else like a conversation or reading or even thinking because our brains are wondering, what's on the screen? What's drawing us back? We keep wanting to get drawn back to that world. And, you know, it, it's proven that if you, if you run the greatest car in the world, Packard used to run, remember Packard automobiles? I wasn't alive when they were around, but they used to make those like 100 years ago, and they were known to be some of the most uh, high-quality cars imaginable. They would test these things and run them 90 miles an hour all day, 24-7 for like a week. But even eventually they would blow a piston. You run 90 miles an hour all day, and you're constantly stimulating the brain all the time. You are going to blow a piston. We haven't, we've forgotten what it means just to take a break, to quiet. 
In music, there's something called the grand pause. Um, it's really an interesting element. It's the, it's the idea that for a moment in time, even if it's brief, every instrument will stop playing and you get a pause of a few seconds, maybe longer. It's very powerful. In fact, you're familiar with it, likely. Mr. Beethoven wrote one of his greatest pieces of all time, his Fifth Symphony, and it's, most people know the main melody. I'm not the greatest singer in the world, but I'm going to put you through torture right now. Well, we'll see, but, but basically it goes like this, and you've heard it. Dun, 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 dun! Dun, 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 dun! Now what's interesting about that is the reason it's so powerful is not because of the notes. They're really fundamentally kind of simplistic. It's the silence. It's the pause of quiet between the notes that makes it capture you. We've forgotten how to get quiet. And I would suggest to you at least a couple things. One, sometimes just get quiet. Even if it is to stare at a beautiful scenery in nature and just try to just do it at least for 60 seconds. See if you can pull it off without your brain going somewhere else or wanting to pick something up. Try it. It's not as easy as you think anymore. But even beyond that, if you're going to fill the void, don't fill it with stimulation and busyness and, and, and work and hecticness. Fill it with God. Get into his word and take the time to actually read it. Maybe even not on a screen. Don't give up the book so quickly. Pick up the physical pages and read it and soak on it for a moment and let it speak to you. Psalm 119 says, Great peace have those who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. Great peace are those who delve in to your law. I recently had to do this because I found I could not quiet my brain. And I actually just so happened was coming in here to pick something up I had forgotten on a day during the holidays when, when this was pre pretty much quiet in here. There's nobody in here. And I sat down right over in that area and sat on a bench for an hour and read the scripture and just listened and, and, and processed things with God. And it was honestly the most quiet time and undistracted time I've had with him in a while. And it's frankly too rare in my life right now. How about you? Where are you at? Jesus also did something interesting in addition to that. Sometimes he would not just read the scripture or preach the scripture, but he would go to a place of undistractedness to pray, we're told. Think about this. The same one who calmed the storm, stopped the whole storm, in a moment in his life when the storm would not stop, when he knew it would overcome him because he chose it, the moment where he was going to the cross, he went to that moment and three times departed by himself to pray to his father. Three times. And many times saying much the same thing each time. Don't worry about repeating with God. He's okay with it. Sometimes something is getting instilled in our soul as we do that. We're actually doing something right now. You might have seen this in your, in your bulletin. Uh, we've got something in there that says Journey Pray at the top. Journey's been a discipleship ministry here. We're trying to encourage different ways that we each can grow in faith together and individually with God. And Journey Pray has never really been about an event or a moment in time. Sometimes we gather like that, but really it's more about a heart attitude of prayer. And what we're doing here is we're going to be putting these out periodically that give kind of a theme for the month or things in which 
will give you an opportunity to focus on something to pray about. Now, this shouldn't define your prayer life. You pray where you are in the moment and where God calls you. But at least this is something that we can use as a starting point to take time, take a few minutes, depart by yourself, five minutes in the morning, whatever it is, and pray and talk with God and tell him what's on your heart. Tell him your struggles. Bring the requests. Meet with him and see what he does as we choose to talk with him. I'll tell you what he promises in Philippians 4. He says this. He said, don't, don't be anxious about it. Don't spend your time just being anxious at how you feel. But in every situation, good, bad, whatever, by prayer and by petition and with thanksgiving, let's not forget to be positive on these things. We'll get back to that. Present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want the peace of God? Get his word into you. Spend time focused on it. You want the peace of God? Go to him and talk with him in an undistracted way. That's what he tells us to do. You know, when we're spending our whole life hectic and distracted and chaotic, let me just say this. We're not the only ones in that storm. We were told in Mark chapter 4 when they departed on that boat, it said other little boats were with them too. Other boats were with them. When that storm is raging in you and out of you, it spills around you. And if it's true that a rising tide lifts all boats, and let me give you another maxim, a storm sinks them all too. Who around you are you dragging down into the depths? Who's drowning? Because hecticness is defining us rather than a time of peace in these ways. Who are we dragging down? Because we're hectic and, and we're negative. Let me give you that second reason. We're, we're negative. Whether we like this or not, we are all, anybody in here, just curious, anybody in here who is not human? I'm just checking. Okay, we're so far, somebody raised their hand. Is, I'm going to talk with you afterwards. Okay, so <laughs> we're all human. We're all in the same boat. And the truth is, whether we like it or not, we are by nature negative. This is proven. This isn't actually even debated anymore. In fact, there was an article put out uh, recently that had an interesting title, caught my eye. It said this, for the new year, say no to negativity. You want to make a New Year's resolution? Say no to negativity. That goes on and mentions this. It actually says, choose to go on a low-bad diet. Not a bad idea, okay? And it says, because this is how it defines it. It says, the negativity bias is the universal, every person, universal tendency for bad events and emotions to affect us more strongly than positive ones. We're devastated, for example, by a word of criticism, but we're unmoved by a shower of praise. We see the hostile face in the crowd, and we miss all the friendly smiles. We focus so much on bad news, especially, it says, in a digital world that magnifies its power. The digital world is magnifying the negativity and the bad news all the time. And it's saying we've got to do something to willfully combat that in ourselves or we will get dragged down into that storm. We will drown in it. And so they suggest a couple of things. First, they say do no harm. It's actually interesting the way they put it. They say doing good is great, but even more important is avoiding bad. Don't focus all the time on the negative, on the bad, on the fights, on that. Don't focus on these things. In fact, when they talk about relationship, this is what they said. Marital relationships, or even you could match this to close relationships. They say ones that are working well, this is what happens. When something goes wrong, 
They either give their spouse the benefit of the doubt or respond calmly so as not to escalate the conflict. In marriages that fail, in contrast, people assume the worst and respond angrily. So which one are we? Are we focusing on the negative and being harsh and angry? Or are we focusing on the positive and trying to resolve that? They also give the rule of four. They say it takes four good things to overcome one bad thing. So you better take some time to focus on what's good. Remember, be thankful. Even when we pray and we've got requests to God, it's not just all about everything that's going wrong. It's also about, but Lord, I am thankful for these things. If we don't take time to give four things we're thankful for before that one thing that's possibly bad, and by the way, prayer shouldn't always be about what's bad. It tends to be, though. I wonder why. But if we give that four thanks and then make that request, it's going to balance us out a lot better. And then they end by saying, instead of despairing setbacks and negative things, learn from them. They mentioned how in a generation, the self-esteem movement, they said, was very damaging because we want to give everybody trophies for kind of doing mediocre work and it's taking its toll. They said, instead, we should reward good hard work and when things do go wrong or when we do make a mistake or even when we fail, we at least always can turn back and learn from that. Don't excuse it. Don't avoid it. But instead, and one of the things I learned a long time ago, somebody told me that I never forgot. So the best question you can ask God is not why, but what. Not God, why am I going through this? God, why is this going bad in my life? But God, what can I learn from this? What's my 10% that I'm adding into this? Show it to me so I can take measures to change that and be broken with you. What happened to make this happen? And how could I maybe avoid that in the future? What's wrong with this person? And how can, I, how can I help? They seem to be struggling. These are important questions that we can ask God. We're very negative. God says in Philippians 4, he gives the antidote to this. Now, dear brothers and sisters, the writer tells us, one final thing. That captures your attention. One more thing, by the way. Remember when Columbo used to do that? He'd walk away and go, oh, wait, just, just one more question. And you knew the big one was coming, right? I just dated myself, didn't I? Is Columbo even on TV anymore? I don't even know. It was a good show. But he would always bring in that one question that would really capture your attention. Well, he's saying one more thing, brothers and sisters, just one more thing. Fix your thoughts. Fix them. Constant, focused on what is true, honorable, right, and pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Because if you do that, then the God of peace will be with you. I struggle with that. My mind will go to the negative. My mind, frankly, will go to four negative things before the one positive. I'm just being honest with you. And he's telling me right here, you've got to flip the script, dude. You've got to flip the script. So we're, we're, we're hectic, and by nature, we're negative. And we're divisive. That's an ugly word. Divisive, dividing. It sounds painful. Try to, get div- try to get divided in half one time, see if it isn't painful. Never tried it. I don't plan on trying it. Hopefully you don't either. It's, div- it's painful. There was a story I hear- heard some years ago of a, an individual who you know, reached out to somebody who was, was hurting me. Saw him along the Golden Gate Bridge. The person was in despair, maybe even contemplating ending it, and he yelled, stop, you know, don't do it. He says, you're not alone. And he starts asking him questions. Are, are, are you a Christian? The guy said, yeah. He goes, hey, me too. What denomination? The guy gave his denomination. He goes, me too. A northern district or southern district? The guy says, northern. He goes, me too. Hey, you're not alone. Fundamentalist or, or reform? The guy says, reform. He goes, me too. Uh, Great Lakes region 
or the Eastern region? Guy says, Great Lakes region. He goes, me too. Great Lakes region council of 1879 or council of 1912? The guy says, council of 1912. And then he goes, die heretic and pushes him off the bridge. (laughs) That's how we are though. We laugh, but that's how we are. We look for something to divide, not to unite. We will look for this. Now, I've got to be, by way of disclaimer, I've got to say this. There are some things that do divide, and we can't really change those things. The gospel divides. In fact, Jesus said it this way. He used the word peace in a different way once here. He said, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? He said, no, not with the gospel. He's talking about the gospel, the message about him being the Savior, every one of us needing him, or we're lost in our sin. Are you hearing me? That is a message that never changes. It's from God. It's important, it's vital to each of us. And he says, on this, I haven't come to bring peace, I'm going to bring division. Because some are going to accept it, and some are going to reject it. And we can't change that message. There's just nothing we can do. It's not a statement of arrogance. It's just a statement that it's real. But here's the key. Even though we can't change that, and so issues like that are issues like deep morals that matter to God, we can't change those issues, and people may reject those things, that in no way means that we should strive to be offensive or to divide people. That's where we miss it. Our heart attitude is where we go wrong. Psalm 120, the writer dealt with this. He said he was just tired of it. Maybe we're getting tired of it too. He said, too long I have lived among those who hate peace. I'm for peace, but when I speak, they're for war. I'm trying to bring peace. I'm trying to speak peace, but these people have war in their hearts. They want division. They want war. Which one are you? Which one am I? We got to, rest- two words. We got to restore this. I'm telling you, we got to restore this in, in, in society, in, in us individually. Two words I'll give you. Civil discourse. Notice I didn't say what the definition said earlier. Not civil disorder. That's part of the problem why we have no peace. Civil discourse. We've got to restore this. Let me tell you what that means. In the old ways of civil discourse, you'd have person A and person B. And person A would offer a point, a view, something, maybe something they were deeply believed in or passionate about. They would offer that. Person B would listen. They would consider. They would be given the time to consider by person A. And then they would reply and offer a counterpoint to their point, a different perspective. Maybe a shaping it or maybe a just an outright disagreement and they would give their reasons why. Person A would listen, and maybe they would respond like this a few times back and forth. They would discuss, and they would either come to a place where they would maybe agree. One person would say, you know, you're right. I concede that. I concede to your point. Or the other person would say, no, I I concede to your point. You're right. Or they would just agree to disagree and say, I don't think we agree on this. But they would leave that discussion with respect for one another. Point, counterpoint, discussion, and respect, whatever the outcome, respect. That was the old way, civil discourse. Here's the new way. It's called character assassination. It's called you put a point out there and you shout it so loudly that you want to almost make sure that the person can't respond. And then if they do try to respond or they disagree in any way, you attack their character and you attack their intent so viciously that they no longer have a voice in it. And then once you've quieted them, it's a different kind of peace. It's not peace at all. It's just quiet. But you've quieted them so they can't talk more. And then that must mean that you're right. And you win. This has got to stop. We'll never have peace individually, in groups, or as a society, 
if we keep doing it this way. And I'm, I don't care what, what group you belong to. I don't care what issue you're talking about. I don't care. It doesn't matter what we're talking about or what types of situations we're talking about. What matters is what's going on in the heart. You see, God seeks to bridge divides not exacerbate and widen divides. He is not interested in that. It doesn't mean there aren't issues to disagree on. I'm not talking about just being conciliatory and just agreeing with everything. That's not what I'm saying, the opposite of that. But what I'm saying is in the midst of it, what is in our hearts to, to widen divides between people or to bridge them? Ephesians 2 tells us God who stepped into a situation among two people groups that were literally, if not uh, physically, at war with each other in every way. Ethnically, religiously, socioeconomically, they were totally separate. There was no way to bring them together, so it seemed. But God brought them to faith in Jesus Christ and then he told them who Jesus is. He said this, for he himself is our peace. He has made these two groups one. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. God removes dividing walls. He unites at a deeper spiritual level so that we can have these discussions. We can even have disagreements, but we can maintain through that respect and honor and love because that's who God is. And he called us to it. If you don't believe me, let me give you a few more scriptures. It doesn't just apply to what he did. It applies to us. Romans 12. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Not just those you're closest to. Not just those you're like-minded with. Not just those who are part of your group. But try to live at peace with everyone. Be a, Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you are called to peace. He wants peace in his church. He goes on, Ephesians 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 1 Peter 3, finally all of you, be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, compassionate and humble. Like-minded doesn't mean exact-minded. We don't have to agree on everything. It means like-minded in our treatment of one another. Don't repay evil with evil. Don't insult when you're insulted. On the contrary, repay it with blessing. Seek peace and pursue it. Pursue Peace, like it's something that needs to be found again. And you're going to work hard to find it. Because I'll tell you, it's lost right now. Don't know where it is. Problem is we're looking for it. Out there. I don't think we're looking in the right direction. We need to seek peace and pursue it. And if that's not, still not enough, Jesus' words. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You want to be a child of God? You want to know you're wearing that title well? Be a peacemaker. So are you a peacemaker? Are you a divide maker? We're hectic and we're negative. We divide. And frankly, we're scared. Storms can be scary. I was in South Dakota a few months ago. Everything was perfectly fine, blue skies, and then I get a notice that there's a tornado. We were in Custer City, and I get a notice that there's a tornado 30 miles of Custer City. Well, okay, it's 30 miles away. It's not too bad. 30 miles from Custer City, heading due east. Now it's bad. Did you follow me? It's west, 30 miles west of Custer City. We're in Custer City, and it's heading due east. Just do the math. So I've got 30 minutes at least. I'm in a rented house. I don't know where I'm going to put my family. Thought I had 30 minutes. Three minutes later, the skies were so black. I've seen, this the ugliest thing I've ever seen. The winds were whipping. I didn't know what we were going to do. And I wish I could sit here and tell you I was brave and noble, but I was scared. There's a tornado coming. 
And so I, I didn't know where to put my family. I was putting them in the, in the bathroom. They had a, uh, a tarp, like a sheet over their head as I was trying to block windows to at least make sure glass would be flying around. And that's where we were. They were praying. I was running outside, checking on the storm, trying to see if there was anything coming and trying to get a hold of the, but finally did get a hold of the person who owned the house and we found out there was a crawl space and we went down under there. And guess what? The, it never hit. The tornado never hit that area. It missed it completely. But of course, a little bit later, because I'd left the door open while I was checking on it, a mouse got in the house. And we spent four hours trying to capture this mouse. <laughs> it was worse than any storm. <sighs> Sometimes the little things are what we, they, they, they disturb us and everybody around us more than the big things, don't they? But they come up quick. In, in, in Mark, in another translation, what it calls the storms, it said a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat. If you ever see the movie White Squall, it's amazing. You see this, this wave come out of nowhere and just hit this boat, and the captain and all these are taken off guard, and, 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 and some lose their lives. I mean, it just it comes on that quick. Well, that's what happened here. See, the Sea of Galilee that they were on is in a bowl. It's just surrounded by mountains and, and high ground, and then there's Mount Hermon to the northeast, and a lot of wind comes down from there when the temperature changes, and it can hit the water and immediately change it. I, I was in Israel some time ago, and you see it. When it's calm, it's calm. It's beautiful. You're just sitting on it's like glass. When it's not calm, you don't want to be on that body of water at all. Okay, the waves get huge. And of course, there they were sitting there on their boat. Now, I think, where's that first picture boat? Here's the boat they were on. You know what's sad is you actually believe that for like a second. <laughs> they lived in style back then. You didn't get that. Okay, they weren't in anything like They might have survived with that. This is what they were on, okay? Small boat, low to the ground, some oars, some sails. And this is where the water was swamping them out in the sea. And so here they are in this moment, and, and, and they don't know what to do. They think they're going to sink. You ever been here? Ever been in a moment like that? I was talking to a couple people a few weeks ago at prayer here, and they were moving back into this area, so excited to be a part of this church again after they had moved some years ago. And just as they're moving in, a sewer pipe broke in their house and flooded everything. They're dealing with sewage in their yard and in their basement. I want to talk about a horrible tempest. That's ugly. And they're dealing with the midst of that. House is floundering, marriages are rocking, health is sinking. Are you there? Scripture tells us that they were nearly swamped, but don't miss that. It says they were nearly swamped. They weren't swamped yet. I don't know where you're at. I, I don't know if this storm is going to be one that will be quieted right now. I'm not sure wherever you find yourself. I will say this much, though. They weren't sure either at that moment. But I do believe it's better if you're going to go down with the ship. Now I'm saying you are, but if you're going to go down with the ship, I believe it is better to sink with Jesus than to sail without him. You hear me? Especially if you're not walking with him today, but you're considering what you're hearing, listen to me. It's better to sink with Jesus than sail without him. Because he's going to get you to the other side. One way or another. He's got an answer to this world that goes beyond this world. And he will take you with him and you will be in good hands. So sail away, even if you're floundering. Stay with him in the boat. But they didn't sink here. And I think in many cases, neither will we. We think we will. And we're so scared because we just struggle. We struggle with taking him at his word. He was asleep on a pillow. He wasn't scared. But here they were and they had forgotten something. And that's why they were scared. It, the story started with this. He said, let's go to the other side. Do you remember that? 
Let's cross to the other side. That's what he promised them. And then here they were when a little storm came up, saying back to him, Lord, don't you care? We're going to drown. You ever feel God doesn't care because you're in the midst of the storm and the water's coming over the side? But if you're walking with Christ, this is what he said to you. We're going to cross to the other side. That's what he promised. But then we go back and we say, don't you care? We're, I'm drowning right now. He's saying, listen to me. We are going to go to the other side. We're going to make it. We struggle with that, though. I struggle with that in those moments. I don't see it that clearly. But there's a challenge in this, I really believe. The wind didn't wake him up. The waves didn't wake him up, but their words did. Jesus wasn't troubled by the storm at all. He had it under control. He was in command. He was troubled because they just didn't believe him. There's a difference between following God and taking him at his word. The final definition of peace is called an archaic definition. That means old-fashioned, but I don't think so. I think it's more relevant today than ever. It's an order to remain silent. Peace, be still. I think what we forget sometimes is we've been given an order. We've been given an order. Maybe we don't even know how to slow down the hectic pace of our life. We just don't know what to do. We can't find the priority anymore. We've been given an order. Quiet. Stop. Take the time. Find the time. Spend time with me. Or maybe we're just struggling. We're, if, if we're honest sitting here right now, we say, you know what? I am that negative person. I am that divisive person. I'm spending all my time there. Following Christ doesn't absolve you from that. It, it doesn't mean you're immune to it. You can go there. And we forget we've got an order. Peace. Make peace. Or maybe we're just scared to death. Maybe we don't know if this boat is going to make it or if it's going down. I can tell you that he's there right now saying, listen to me, whether this world or the next, we're going to make it to the other side. In peace, be still. Trust me. It's hard, but trust me. We're going to be receiving communion. Communion is an expression of this. It's a way in which God wanted to bring peace to our souls. You see, we struggle with guilt and shame and sin. It's probably our deepest struggle in this area. I had a person recently who was talking to me and he said, I know that God has forgiven me. I've heard it. I've seen it. I, I know his promise. But why don't I have peace? I can't find it. I can't. I know it here, but I, I can't get it here. And I said to him, you know, Jesus, a couple of times when he brought healing to somebody and made them whole again, he said certain words to them. And they were these words, your faith in me has healed you. Go in peace. We just have to realize it's not a question anymore. It's a simple matter of taking him at his word. Are you struggling with sin and guilt and shame? Do you wonder if you're ever going to be out of that storm? 
if it's ever going to stop raging, or maybe if it's going to sink your boat in the little boats with you. Peace. Go in peace. He will help you get to the other side. Just stay with him. Imagine what was going through Jesus' mind that night when he sat with his disciples and prepared to go to the cross for our sins. The storm that must have been raging inside, the one that he knew he would never get out of. But he chose that. He chose that so that we might have peace in him. And I am a believer that anyone who loves that much He can provide peace for our souls. I believe that. And he said words to them. And those words were these, Peace be with you. And then he said, As my Father sent me, so I send you. Let's carry his peace into this world. That's what we're called to do. And so let me end with 2 Thessalonians and a benediction from there. May the Lord of peace himself be with you at all times and in every way. There'll be those up here for prayer if you need it. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus. He himself is our peace. And we pray as we leave this place, we would carry you with us in our boat. The storm is out there, but you're with us. And you can command peace to the storm. In your name, amen.